This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Charles Grant, the director of the Centre for European Reform, and Fraser Nelson. Now, Charles, Rishi Sunak has been in Paris today. Um, what's the readout from the meeting? Was it positive? Well, I think the main readout from the meeting is very positive on the mood music. They actually hugged each other and they're both being incredibly polite and nice to each other, trying to tell us they're all in a, in a new bromance and everything's going to be tickety-boo. So that's the message they were trying to give us today, I think. And what, what do you think Rishi Sunak managed to get out of it? Well, of course, the, the main British demand from this summit was something on the small boats, which Rishi Sunak is, of course, very uh, and rightly obsessed with. The French knew they had to give the British something on this, though it wasn't their main motivation for holding the summit. They, they were concerned about the broader geostrategic situation, I think, and Britain and France becoming friendly operators together. On the small boats, the British have said they're going to spend nearly £500 million over three years, which is much more money than they've been giving so far to the French, in order for the French to open a detention centre for detaining would-be illegal migrants, to have more French officers on the beat, on the beaches, trying to stop the migrants getting to boats, and also spending a lot on modern technology, including drones, to kind of survey how the migrant gangs, how the criminal gangs that run the migrants operate. So a lot of money to be spent on the French to help them sort out the problem. And I think it's the right thing to do, because we all know the small boats problem can't be solved, certainly not overnight. There's no silver bullet can end this awful business. But if you get the cooperation from the French, from where most, France is where most of the small boats come from, that's a good start. You need the goodwill of the French. And without goodwill, you can't have... Much. And I think Rishi Sunak has succeeded in establishing a fair degree of goodwill with, with Emmanuel Macron. They seem to have gotten rather well. Certainly better than Boris Johnson and Emmanuel Macron. Fraser, do you think that this detention centre could be a game changer in dealing with the small boats? Um, not really. It will help on the margins. But I think, as Charles says, the main thing is the mood music here. We've got um, King Charles, of course, is going to make a state visit to France in a couple of weeks. So this is an, an example of the British using, of course, the king as a diplomatic tool. And Rishi Sunak has been hoping to revive what's called the Lancaster House Treaty of 2010. That was when Britain and France basically signed treaties to degrees um, defence and security cooperation. It's been pretty muted since Brexit. And successive British Prime Ministers have wanted to get that back on track. Now, Liz Truss notoriously refused to say whether Macron was a friend or foe. Johnson was a bet noir ever since Brexit. So I think Sunak here is wanting to go and emphasise what have always been natural alliances between Britain and France. We're two of the biggest defence spenders in the whole of NATO, for example. And also we've got um, shared priorities over Ukraine as well. Of course, Rishi Sunak's greatest hope right now is to stop the small boats, one of his five pledges. Now, he's got two ways of doing this. One is to get his Rwanda scheme up and running, which he thinks will deter them, but that will take quite some time. The other is to persuade the French to intercept three quarters, as opposed to one half, of the boats setting off right now. Now, the belief in the Home Office is that once you manage to up the patrols, if you are, t- are stopping three out of four il- illegal small boat crossings, then you break the people smugglers' business model because if they can't promise better than a one in four success rate, nobody's going to pay them the £3,000 or whatever it is to cross the channel. So this is what the British are hoping for, to give this up to £180 million a year to add to the patrols, something like 800 patrols a day right now. So the French are 
are putting quite a lot of welly into it, not enough. What Sunak wants to find out is, is it possible if you put in more money to get more controls at the detention centre, might this be enough to increase the number of um, small boats that are intercepted and stopped every day? And Charles, something that's not often talked about when we discuss this issue here in the UK is seems to be France's own difficulties with refugees and migrants coming over its borders. Because as I understand it, I mean, one of the things that they're saying is that actually southern European states don't take their fair share of people either. Can you talk a little bit about that particular problem for them? Yeah, well, there's a big dispute between France and Italy over this, because Italy has a huge number of migrants coming in from North Africa and it registers them, and, and they, they pass through Italy on their way to France, and then Italy won't take them back, which it should do. It, it, it breaches EU rules and not taking them back. Its excuse is other EU countries don't take their fair share of them once they have been registered, which is because the EU just can't agree on how to handle, handle these refugees. I might just mention one issue which we haven't touched on, Cindy, which is, which is Germany. And one of the reasons why I think Macron is so keen to close relationship with Rishi Sunak is... The fact that he has a very bad relationship with Olaf Scholz. They disagree on defence industry issues because Germany keeps on buying American weapons. They disagree on energy. France is pro-nuclear, Germany is anti-nuclear. They disagree on almost everything except, in fact, for the war in Ukraine, and they get on quite well on that issue. And I think it's quite important for Sunak to diversify his alliances. And although the British aren't much used in the EU anymore as a friend there, they are in the G7, the G20, the UN Security Council... And, you know, and so on. So I think, in fact, it's quite useful for Macron having a, a friend who's not Germany, who he can team up with, particularly on issues to do with the Ukraine war. That's really interesting, Fraser. Do you think that Brexit has kind of uh, the wounds from that time have kind of healed when it comes to Anglo-French relations? I would say that they're healing. I mean, we've been in the sin bin for quite some time. Some Brexiteers, myself included, had thought that the the sheer logic, the sheer mutual interests and shared interests of France and Britain would mean that even after Brexit, we could position ourselves as being the EU's best single external ally. And that would lead to more cooperation than it had done. But that was very slow in coming. And I think the personal animus between Boris and Macron and also Boris and Liz Truss did set things back quite a lot. Now, Rishi Sunak is a fairly huggy person. He likes giving hugs to people. And I think um, that the hug will be, you know, perhaps the prelude to other things. And and also, you know, if you're French, the, the King Charles's visit, which we tend not to pay much attention to, will be will be quite significant. His first foreign visit as king. I guess I'm an, eter- I'm an eternal optimist about the improving state of UK-EU relations. So I'm inclined to see in here the beginning of what I thought should have been happening some time ago. And Charles, something else that did come up today was uh, joint efforts on the Indo-Pacific. Obviously, the situation there with France has been a bit icy since the de- declaration of AUKUS, which meant that the French lost out uh, on their partnership with Australia. But with the integrated review coming uh, shortly in, in the coming weeks, what, what was said about the Indo-Pacific? And do you think that that was a meaningful step in how the West treats China? I, I do. I think I think the, um, the the great area where France and the UK may cooperate much more closely in the future is defence, including in Asia, where they, they can cover for each other's aircraft carriers. When one aircraft carrier is being repaired, the other country can, can cover for the first country. But I think on defence, we may see much closer cooperation. The French are, frankly, ambivalent on how closely they want to work with the British on defence. Part of the French defence establishment wants to do everything through the European Union. And in terms of defence 
industries, there's a lot of stuff happening in the EU at the moment, which deliberately excludes British and American companies from getting the benefits of EU funding for R&D, for example. So there is a sort of Europe, EU-only attitude to defence. But other people in, in Paris do understand that in the long run, if Europe's going to have any clout in the world when it comes to the defence and security, you have to include the British because they've got the capabilities. And I think Macron leans sometimes one way, sometimes the other. He's leaning a bit towards the British at the moment. And he did, I think, mention today his great brainchild, the, the European political community, which met for the first time in Prague last October and will be the British will host the fourth meeting next year. Macron believes in this. Liz Truss had the sense to turn up to the meeting in Prague and did a, did a good job in turning up there and, and talking. This is a talking shop, of course, nothing much more than a talking shop, but it was a talking shop to cover defence, security, energy, and Macron said today it could also cover migration issues, the, the long-term root causes of migration flows, illegal migration flows, could be covered in the European political community, a club which the British are members of and it doesn't have any institutions, so there's no reason why the Tory party should have problems with that as far as I can see. And finally, Fraser, we're hearing that on Monday we'll be hearing a little bit more about Britain's role in AUKUS. What do you think? What have you heard? Well, that Rishi Sunak is going to fly off to San Diego where he's going to meet his um, Australian and US counterparts. And Biden's doing a fundraiser over there. And they're going to announce a pretty significant deal. We, we already know that AUKUS has taken place, but we didn't know who submarines are going to be. And it turns out they're going to be British submarines. And this will, although it's quite a long-term thing, it will integrate pretty quickly the British, US and Australian militaries, or the Navy, certainly. And it will create a framework that will be very difficult to break. Once you've agreed to a project of this size and magnitude, it will um, have a, I'm not quite sure if you want to call it a, another, another NATO, but it does certainly align Britain, America, and perhaps even Japan. Japan's remember spending a lot of money in defence, a lot of Japan's buying F-35s compatible with Western militaries. So we're starting, uh, so this might be the start of Rishi Sunak turning his sights to a more foreign policy agenda. So the great loving with, with Sunak and then with, um, with the Biden and then looking towards Asia, which is for the US and for the UK, an increasing area of focus. Fraser and Charles, thanks very much and thank you very much for listening.